Welcome everyone, I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner and today I'm speaking with Palmer Kippola. Palmer is an author, speaker, autoimmune recovery advocate, and functional medicine certified health coach. She developed the FIGHTS framework to help others beat autoimmune conditions based on her two-decade battle to overcome MS. We're talking about how you can beat autoimmune. She has a wonderful book called Beat Autoimmune, The Six Keys to Reverse Your Condition and Reclaim Your Health. So please enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Palmer. I'm so excited to interview you today. It is an honor to be here, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, I know that we've recently uh, met each other in person um, at a conference this summer, and you shared your work and your book. And, you know, I, I was really, really impressed, you know, with your book, Palmer. You cover really all the aspects that we're constantly looking at at Sophia Health Institute. And I just, um, as we hopped on, I really admire um, your framework in that you're trying to make such complex topics um, simple and less overwhelming and accessible for those who need it. So thank you for tackling this project and your, your book is fantastic. So, um, so as we jump in, we have a lot to cover and I just want to make sure, you know, we highlight everything that we, um, you want to share today. And so your journey began with your personal story. And so can you share with our listeners really what made you become an autoimmune expert? Ah, well, yes, I have to take you back in time a little bit um, because I was 19. So let's go back to when I'm 19. Um, I had just finished my freshman year of college. I went home for the summer, for summer break. I was working a summer job and I was a happy, healthy, well-adjusted teenage young woman. And one morning um, I woke up and the soles of my feet were all tingly, like that feeling that you've slept on a limb and the blood rushes back and you have that tingling sensation. Well, this happened to me that morning. And as much as I shook my feet, the blood didn't rush back. And I still went off to work thinking it's just gonna go away. And off I went and the tingling kept creeping up my legs like a vine uh, that morning. And I knew something was wrong. So I called my parents who called the family doctor who said, get her over to the neurologist at UCLA this afternoon. And that's what we did. So we sat in the neurologist's office and she did this cursory exam, had me walk across her floor, heel toe, touch my nose and all of those things, did my reflexes. And after only about five or six minutes, she said with a pronouncement, I am 99% certain that you have MS, multiple sclerosis. And if I'm right, there's nothing you can do. Mm. And we just looked at each other. We'd never heard of MS, multiple sclerosis. This was in the 80s before the internet. Um, and we just didn't have any friends with MS. We had never heard of this. And as we left her office, she said to my mom and dad, um, you better get ready to prepare for her life in a wheelchair because that's the likely prognosis. And they didn't tell me that for years. But we left her office with very little information, very little hope. We didn't know what to do. And she just had us go home and wait. And fortunately, I didn't take any steroid medications. It was just a waiting game to see if it got worse. And it did. Um, we went home and that night, my mom crawled in bed with me and she's holding me and crying a little. And by this time, the tingling had reached all the way up underneath my chin. And all of the areas that had been tingling went completely numb. And my whole body would stay numb for a full six weeks. So it was an absolutely terrifying time. And we had really no idea what to expect. We didn't know whether or not I needed to stay home and live with my parents. And uh, it was just a really unpredictable, scary time. And I was basically relegated to the couch. Um, so during those six weeks that was an important time because I lay there and friends came to visit who weren't too scared off by this mysterious condition. And I could walk. I just didn't have a sense of where my limbs were in space. So I looked really funny shuffling from my bedroom. Um, my dad would help me install myself on the couch and uh, people came over to visit. Uh, and some people brought, you know, the standard gifts, the books, the cookies, watch movies with me. And this one family friend came to visit and she gave me a gift that I didn't realize was a gift until years later. Um, she asked me, Palmer, why do you think you got the MS? And 
I mean, I was just floored. I was offended. I didn't know what she was talking about. I was shocked and I just couldn't let it go. Um, so I lay there on that couch chewing on that question, like a dog with a bone. Well, wait a minute. Did I cause this to like, how in the world would that happen? And I want to take you back a little bit farther in time because I had been adopted as a baby by very loving parents at three days old. Um, but my dad had been a fighter pilot whose way was invariably the right way. And he yelled a lot and he was opinionated and judgmental. And there was a lot of yelling in the household. Um, and I remember, I think my earliest memory that came to me while I'm lying on the couch at age 19, I have this image in my mind of me, age three or four, standing in the hallway with my little dukes up. My dad is yelling at my mom, calling her names because she struggled with her weight and he didn't like that. And I just wasn't going to have any of that. I, I just wouldn't, um, I didn't want that at all. Um, and I, I realized that I had become hypervigilant. I had really, I was always on, I was always scanning the environment for safety. Um, I endured periods of insomnia as a child. And so I believed in that moment on the couch that chronic stress was in fact the root of the MS. And that still rings true today. And now we know so much more about the, the definitive connection between stress and autoimmune conditions. And we have the ACEs study, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, which effectively proves that what happens in childhood doesn't stay in childhood. And I had, in my own experience, about three ACEs, which uh, the simplified version is the more points you have, the greater your likelihood or risk factors for disease later in life. Now it's modifiable, but um, that's, you know, we'll, we'll get into that part. But at this moment, I just realized that chronic stress was my, my biggest trigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about the time that you were diagnosed and, you know, the neurologists have come a little bit further, but not, you know, I'll be a little jaded and probably not too much further um, nowadays and, you know, giving you very limited options. Right. And so I, I think your journey um, is so empowering because, you know, as we walk through what you've discovered and what you learned, you were really, you know, if you just stuck um, to what the neurologist had told you, you wouldn't even think to look deeper because that's not what science was telling any of them to tell you. So it's just, a, you know, I, I think this autoimmune conversation is so important, especially as autoimmune illnesses are on the rise. And, you know, we, we just have so many ways and facets um, to look at these. And I, you know, not with going too far too deep, but I, I think it's so important that you just mentioned this hypervigilant emotional state and the stress state and how this was mirrored in your physical body of your immune system being hypervigilant and on too high of an alert. And that translated into this you know, this symptomology. So I, I think, um, you know, I think it's important to see that connection. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I didn't know how I intuited that at the time, but I figured that my immune system, it was kind of like lunging at windmills. If you remember Don Quixote, there's nothing, mm -hmm. there's no villain really there, but he's fighting. And so that's the mode that I was in. And my immune system, I believe became a proxy for that. So I I'm really clear about that, but um, I, I'm also glad that you mentioned sticking to um, trying to find solutions because um, over the 26 years that I suffered from relapsing remitting MS, I saw six neurologists, each of whom told me there was nothing I could to, do except take medication. Maybe my life would be shortened. Maybe I would be in a wheelchair. And that was the best they could do. On the other hand, I had my dad. Now, my dad, I already mentioned in the story, and he <laughs> seems to come across as a villain of the piece. But I also want to say... He was so empowering and motivational to me and probably my greatest teacher ever. So it's this dichotomy. And when I was lying on the couch, he would say to me, honey, you can beat this thing. I know you can do it. Mm. And so he was encouraging me to do all of these experiments while the neurologists were saying in the other ear, you know, there's nothing you can do. So I really credit my dad for getting me on the path of healing. Which is just 
such a blessing if you think about it. My parents aren't alive anymore. I wish they were, mm-hmm. um, but I know they're they're with me still. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did a number of experiments over the years, and I I just really want to simplify this if I if I may. Please. Um, so yeah. because I intuited that stress was my biggest root cause, then I knew I needed to do something to relax. Um, I started doing yoga in the late eighties. Um, and that was so nourishing for me just to let it go and to have the soothing voice of the instructor. And I started meditating in the early nineties. And as long as I stuck to those things, those practices, I noticed a reduction in symptoms. But when I was stressed, conversely, whether it was conflict at home or at school, I was really overwhelmed with exams or whatever later in the workforce, I would notice almost immediately a correlation with exacerbations. So it became a really clear cause and effect that stress reduction and anything that I could do to activate that parasympathetic uh, response was super important. And now we know, and I've learned, that our stress response is immediate and we don't need to train it. It, That's our survival mechanism, right? I mean, you can't fault that three-year-old child for doing the best she could under the circumstances. But, you know, as a 30-year-old or 40 or 50, those same responses don't serve us well. So we actually have to practice engaging the relaxation response. So that was a huge, huge experiment that really, really worked. Um, and, and I'll just skip over to briefly one, the only diet book at the time was the swank diet book mm-hmm. that said low fat vegetarian was the way to go. <laughs> and my family, Christine, oh, were already margarine and non-fat milk. And if you can even remember, um, ice milk, ice cream, I may be really dating myself, but, um, it was awful. So I couldn't go any lower fat, but then I added more healthy quote, whole grains and noticed a worsening of tummy troubles and no reduction of MS symptoms. So that didn't work. I tried vegetarian, vegan, macrobiotic, you name it. Anything that added more grains to my diet was not a bonus. Um, And I did eventually get worn down by an especially persistent neurologist at Stanford who insisted I go on medication or my life would be shortened. I tried an injectable for four years and I had significant uh, reactions to it, and I didn't notice any improvement of symptoms. So um, at this point, the stress reduction was really doing well for me. And finally, it took until 2010 for me to put some things together. Now we have the internet, now I'm educating myself, and I decided to go see a nutritionist, and I found a functional medicine nutritionist who ran a number of tests and lo and behold found that I had non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which now we may understand to affect up to 30% or even more of the population. And we have science. If you know Dr. Fasano's study of 2015, he talks about gluten creating a leaky gut in anyone who eats it. But we know even more now that the leaky gut or the intestinal hyperpermeability is the pathway to autoimmune conditions. And I had been eating the steady stream of gluten my entire life, Cheerios for breakfast, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich Mm -hmm. for lunch. There's the gluten and the moldy peanuts and maybe pasta and pizza for dinner. So I, she led me, this functional medicine nutritionist led me through a gut healing protocol where I removed the gluten and the dairy and the other inflammatory stuff and within a week of removing it, I didn't have any tummy troubles after eating again, like no gurgling tummy. And I thought that was normal. So I, I, I thought everybody experienced that, mm-hmm. but no more tummy troubles. And within one month, I stopped having any and all MS symptoms ever again. And that wow. was of 2010. But I have to add really super quickly that this story may be unique. And I'm not saying that just remove the gluten and you're done with healing with autoimmune conditions as we'll get into fights and that we'll, we'll see that. But most people start with food. I had started with emotional pain and chronic stress, right? So mm-hmm. if I hadn't been whittling away my toxin bucket for those 26 years, I don't know that removing gluten would have had the impact it did on me. Suffice it to say, um, that was what I call my Eureka experiment. So super good news. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm so happy that, you know, you have been doing so well and you really have been able to, you know, share, you know, your story. And, you know, I, I was sharing before 
I hopped on the um, call with you that I, you know, I feel like, you know, my patients come in waves and I feel like I have a handful of, you know, new MS patients. And, you know, it's just always great to hear these stories of hope and that, you know, people can and do recover from these illnesses after going, you know, into the conventional, conventional world. There's a very different story. And I think that fear that, you know, people are surrounded by, you know, can contribute to the stress going through the illness. So I, I think, um, no, I appreciate you sharing your story and, you know, just, um, I want to go over, you know, a framework, but uh, the framework that we're going to go over, but for people who might be, um, new to some of our topics, you mentioned your test that you, um, you know, identify this non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And so if someone's thinking out there, huh, like, do I have that? Can you just share quickly, you know, how people can get tested for that? Absolutely. There are a couple of options. Um, there are Cyrex Laboratories now is a, a lab, I think, I don't know if it's devoted exclusively to autoimmune testing, but that is a good one. Um, I think it's their array number three that tests for um, a number of different types of gluten because mm-hmm. there's not just one. I think, I don't know if it's Tom O'Brien that talks about 23,000 different combinations. So the testing is still kind of primitive, but there's another one, the vibrant wellness mm-hmm. uh, Zoomer, wheat Zoomer mm-hmm. test can be very helpful for people. So those are two things. Maybe the best experiment that you can do is put on your own lab coat and just take those things out of mm-hmm. your diet for 30 days. And really, you know, once you understand the science, which I'll talk a little bit about this autoimmune equation as we know it, because um, I I think I had no intention of writing a book. I mean, I just didn't have, I had this cognitive dissonance after healing. I mean, I stopped feeling like I was plugged into an electrical wall socket 24 seven. I stopped having these really super heavy legs like lead when I woke up in the morning. And I just, if I can add I'd like to say, because I had some before and after lab work, both MRIs as well as mm-hmm. a Cyrex test that can measure antibodies to your myelin basic protein. Um, and all of my antibodies are in the normal range. And I have since had an MRI that shows that my lesions have either disappeared or faded. And the neurologist that I went back to finally um, said, this really couldn't be a better story. At one point, he said, well, maybe your MS was benign after all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure there is such a thing as benign <laughs> MS. So, um, you know, or it's a spontaneous remission. No, no, we, we there are effects and causes. So um, that's, I, I just wanted people to yeah. know that. No, I love that because when people see, especially if they're battling, you know, a MS diagnosis and they see these brain scans and, you know, what, again, the neurologist will tell them, this is wonderful. And I've seen this too in my own work that the lesions, um, it can improve and reverse. And so that just, you know, um, is a new paradigm that we're all exploring with neuroplasticity and creating new, you know, uh, pathways and new neurons. And, you know, there are no limits to the brain's ability to heal, which I, which I love, you know, so, um, so you have this wonderful book, Palmer called beat autoimmune, the six keys to reverse your condition and reclaim your health. And in it, it's really, it's a wonderful book and you go through all of the important topics and I, I recommend it um, to our audience if you want to go deeper, but we're going to kind of paint the framework that you've created called fights. And can you tell us what that means and what that stands for? Yes. So as I mentioned, after healing, um, I didn't set out to write a book. I set out to understand how it was possible that I healed because I had this cognitive dissonance. I mean, I was in high tech, I'm <laughs> of sales and marketing. So this was health was not my field, but I just couldn't leave well enough alone. Um, having been told for 26 years, there was nothing I could do. And then there was so much I could do. So I just dove into PubMed, which is that huge database of biomedical research. Anyone can do it. And I found, um, just as a framework to present the framework, um, a couple of uh, empowering science that was, I didn't feel like had been, uh, that people had been made aware of. And the first is epigenetics, and the second is an autoimmune equation. So the epigenetics literally means on top of the gene, and it completely refutes this idea that our DNA is our destiny. In other words, that we're doomed to get whatever our parents or grandparents had. 
And uh, in fact, it's the environment that matters most. And it's the environment that gives rise to whether or not those genes get expressed. So I thought, oh my goodness, well, maybe I change things. I'll always have the genes for the MS, but those genes don't have to be switched on. We can switch them off by how we live. And the second piece of exciting science I found was this autoimmune equation. It turns out um, we've always known that genes and environmental factors play a role in autoimmunity, but nobody really knew how those two worlds came together to cause that to be expressed. And along came Dr. Fasano and his team who are now at Harvard Medical School, and they found the third element in the equation needed for autoimmunity to occur, and that is that intestinal hyperpermeability or the leaky gut as we know it. So the exciting part about the equation is that if you flip the equation, you can heal the condition, mm. which means, um, I mean, I don't know anything more empowering. I didn't know why that wasn't front page news. And so <laughs> yeah. I, I had unknowingly followed this autoimmune equation by finding and removing my big triggers and healing my gut. If you heal and seal the lining of your gut, that's really the key to this whole thing. So then I decided, oh my goodness, I need to help people figure out what they need to do. So I wanted to come up with what are all the environmental factors that we control. And I put them on this sheet and then being a word person, I decided to categorize them and they turned out to spell this word fights, which stands for food, infections, gut health, hormone balance, toxins, and stress, which is last but not least, but in any way, um, Turns out that's kind of metaphorically perfect, and it's some—it's all the root causes, or it's the big ones that we can control. It doesn't include genes, but epigenetically, if we follow those, we can switch our genes off or on. It's really—it becomes a choice. So that's how I came up with those categories, and I can take you through each one and give you maybe a yeah. little science blurb for each. Would that be helpful? Well, I'd love it, and I think that, um, no, I, I love the way that you're framing kind of the empowering look um, that we have with our, um, the possibilities of, you know, healing that, you know, it's not just your genes, but it's just this whole, you know, interaction between our environment, um, not only, um, you know, infections and stress and toxicity, but you know, how um, our emotional health can really play a role. So I, I'm really happy that you're touching on all this. And so so let's just go through, and please, you have the stage to go through this fights, um, you know, framework yes. and just um, educate us. All right, let's start with food. Because in writing this book, I interviewed dozens of functional medicine experts. And I, I include in the book 12 doctors who themselves reversed autoimmune conditions, had been told that they had something incurable, but lo and behold, they cured themselves. So when I interviewed them, each one of them to a person said, start with food. And I asked why. And they said, because it's the highest leverage category. That means they see, and I see in my own coaching practice, about 60 to 80% and sometimes even 100% of symptoms can be reversed just by starting with in removing those inflammatory foods. So that's why we start there because once you remove those foods and you start to feel better, you actually have more energy and more motivation to get to other categories. So the three top foods that we see causing problems, um, number one by far and away is gluten. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just has the most research behind it, it seems to be the biggest baddie. And as I mentioned, that Fasano study from 2015 that says not just celiacs, you know, which is maybe one to three percent of the population, not just people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which may be 30 percent of the population, but it creates a leaky gut in anyone who eats it. So I just want to preface this by saying I'm not saying that everyone who eats gluten is going to get an autoimmune condition. What I am saying is if you know you have one, I don't care which of the 150 it is. It could be MS, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, you name it. There are It goes on and on and on. Um, if you're still eating gluten, you're continuing probably to perpetuate the autoimmune attack because you're keeping those those junctions, those tight junctions have loosened up in the lining of your small intestine and protein particles are getting into the bloodstream and your immune system is just doing its job trying to protect you. And it starts going after the gluten and it's a long story of what it does, but ultimately it misfires, crossfires and 
our own tissues get caught in the attack. So we need to do our, we need to be vigilant about taking the bad stuff out. Gluten is number one. Uh, number two is dairy. Cow dairy in particular seems to be very inflammatory is linked with a lot of autoimmune conditions, including type one diabetes. And it's not the lactose that seems to be the biggest problem. It's the casein, which mm -hmm. is a protein in dairy. And I've had conversations with um, Dr. Vojdani about, is it, can you do goat and sheep? And, you know, those are smaller animals. He wants people to take all dairy out. I think after 30 days, if you don't react to goat and sheep, maybe you can try that. But for at least 30 days, get rid of all dairy products with the exception of ghee, which is clarified butter and actually can be quite nourishing. It doesn't have the inflammatory products um, so replace your butter with ghee for that 30-day period. And the third food that is a big baddie is sugar. And this doesn't get talked about very much in terms of autoimmunity, um, but it turns out that sugar in any form, whether it, it, it is fructose or sucrose or anything with an ose at the end, can block the, your immune system from working for up to five hours after eating it. And that study was done, Christine, back in 1973. Okay. So we've known this for a really long time. And so if you're dealing with autoimmunity or think you might be because you've got mysterious symptoms, just know that it's an immune system problem. So you want to do anything you can to unblock your immune system and get it balanced. And so those are the top three recommendations, but um, there are many more. And I have, it's the biggest question I get from clients and people is what do I eat if I have an autoimmune condition? Mm -hmm. So I created this um, small ebook called Your Optimal Food Guide. And it, I feel like you, uh, people are in the best position to decide that for themselves through their own experimentation. So you can go to palmerkippola.com forward slash gift and download that guide. Um, and that can be very helpful to get you started on that path of figuring out your best foods. So mm -hmm. next on the list is gut. And we don't go in order that, that fights is spelled. Um, and I wa just want to say two things about that. Um, gut naturally follows food and hormones is naturally last because it's downstream from everything else. And maybe we can balance our hormones once we deal with mm -hmm. all of these other categories, but we have to see heal and seal our gut in order to reverse and prevent autoimmune conditions. We heard about the autoimmune equation. And so the, the two big stars in our gut are the microbiome and the gut lining, which it turns out that's where about 75% of our immune system resides. So the first thing we have to do when talking about the gut is take out the bad stuff. And we've already done that. If we're doing this 30-day, what I call a food vacation, I've kind of rebranded the elimination diet to make it a more positive-sounding thing. Um, you know, I like take that. vacation from your I habitual know. foods. I try know. Things. Nobody wants to do the elimination diet. So I, I love that. I love that reframe. <laughs> So we, we got to take out the bad stuff, no doubt about it. And it's not just the bad foods, which are the sad foods that we know about. Um, but I think we're tending as a society to treat our guts like garbage disposals and just kind of shove every anything down there without being mindful of what we're doing. So we, we really, the first place to start is with those foods, because so many of them, the conventional meats in particular, and the, the oils that we're eating that are just rancid and bad and all of that, and the animals that are eating these GMO grains and um, that are sprayed or Roundup ready, whatnot, when we eat that, we're not just what we eat, we're whatever we eat ate. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to just be mindful of that. So wherever you can to go with organic food is really consequential. But the other stuff to take out, if you don't have to take an antibiotic, you know, if you've got a life-threatening something, that's super important. But just for the common cold, just to minimize those medications and work with your doctor on that. Um, healing gut infections. And last but not least that I want to comment about the gut here on the bad stuff is, did you know that stress creates a leaky gut? Mm, makes sense, right? Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, we've got that vagal nerve that just is the highway between, um, I don't know how much farther down below the gut it goes, but it's connected to our brain. And um, when we are stressed out, it creates these really loose junctions in the gut. So we really need to be mindful of our stress and practices, relaxation. All of these categories you'll see 
they interconnect. They're all connected. You can't really separate them out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, I mean, that's why, you know, um, you know, you're able to heal without, you know, just sticking to a conventional paradigm. I mean, that's what functional medicine and naturopathic medicine is, right? The body is not these separate compartments. We're highly interconnected. And I know everyone who's listening to this has probably <laughs> figured that out, but it's, it's, an, <laughs> it's important, you know, um, yeah, important point to kind of continue to reiterate that every system in the body is interconnected. Right, right. Some of the most basic things are worth repeating. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a couple of final things on the gut, and I'll move on a little bit faster. Um, you know, people over 40 tend not to have enough stomach acid and sometimes can really be helped by adding digestive enzymes. And probiotics are foundational. And, and if you don't want to take probiotics, fermented foods can offer a really great amount of probiotic uh, bacteria. So super helpful um, to find a really good one. And you know, rotate them mm-hmm. once a month or so, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and probiotics means for life. And what do probiotics eat? Well, they eat prebiotics, which come before the probiotics, so pre. Um, and prebiotics are actually fiber. It's a fancy word for fiber. So we in the United States, I think we eat something like 10 to 15 grams of fiber per day. I think the American Medical Association recommends that we get about 30 grams. Our ancestors ate between 100 and 150 grams of fiber per day. Wow. So I think it's it's interesting and, and helpful to know that if you don't eat fiber, your probiotics, your good gut bugs need to eat something. They mm-hmm. start eating you. That is the mucus lining of your gut. And you don't want them to do that. It's a very protective coating. So you want to be eating fiber. And I recommend in the book, you know, try to aim for 40 or 50 grams a day. You might miss it. But, you know, if you aim for it, if you have the intention that that you're on the right path and you can do that from colorful vegetables and probiotic powders like mm-hmm. inulin and acacia and Jerusalem artichoke and green banana powder even. So you can add that to smoothies or you'll you'll find a way to get that in. You can add them like that. So Mm -hmm. do you find that people have to go a little slow with those if their gut is a little compromised just because of all the action that can start happening um, when you introduce prebiotics if you have a compromised gut? Absolutely. So thank you so much for saying that. Caution. Proceed with caution. I just don't get an email after, you know, scoops of prebiotics in the (laughs) smoothie. It can just create a lot of... um, yeah, happy, you know, bacteria. So just yes. go slowly. Yes. Yeah. They will be having a party. No, go <laughs> slowly and then as you're ready, ramp up to that level. Absolutely. So glad you said that. Thank you for the disclaimer. <laughs> um, the the next thing I, I just want to touch on toxins because they are such a big driver of this autoimmune pandemic. Um, and because we've been talking about food, um, Dr. Pizzorno, who wrote the Toxin Solution, claims that about 70% of our toxic load comes from the food we're eating. And that really, I've already spoken to the pesticides and herbicides found in con- conventional animal products. So again, here's the categories that kind of overlap. Um, but there was a study that was done on children that were eating conventional conventional uh, meats and fruits and vegetables, and they went all organic and over a few days of eating organic food, reduced their body burden, their toxic body burden by 50%. So again, really consequential. And if people need help, I'm sure they know they can go to the environmental working group and look up the clean 15 or the dirty dozen charts. They change yearly. But that's a great way to start cleaning up the environment of what you're putting into your gut. Another big, big category in toxins is the air we breathe. And it turns out that um, 90% of the pollution um, we face is indoors, that our indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than our outdoor air. So it can be as simple as opening your windows if you can afford it, um, you know, get a, a HEPA air filter get houseplants. And as uh, environmental expert shares, ban the broom um, mm-hmm. because that's just circulating those toxins and mold particles and so mm-hmm. forth. And to use a HEPA vacuum cleaner, mm-hmm. super important. But these little things, I mean, it sounds so simple and so basic, but they really add up. So if you just can make those simple changes of open your window, get some houseplants um, and mm-hmm. use a HEPA vacuum, you know, you're lowering the body burden. And I, I think that's huge. And the last thing I'll say about toxins that we find 
a lot of people are slathering on these body care products with the, the phthalates and the parabens and um, things like fragrance, which is a catch-all for parabens and so forth. So I recommend to people, if you don't recognize the ingredients, don't use it. And better still, if um, you don't pronounce them or if you wouldn't eat them, don't put them on your body because your skin is your biggest organ. It's going to just absorb it right in. And water is super, super important. And you know, ideally, you know, spring water is best, and you can find a spring. There's a findaspring.org where you can do a search and find if there is a local spring, and you can take these glass jars. My husband and I do this and go to a local spring and, and cart the water home. Or if you can do a whole house water filter, that's fantastic. Or don't forget water filters on your shower. So mm-hmm. that's super important, basic things that make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Some people were so good about educating people on water filters, um, but we forget, you know, the shower filter. And I'm I'm real passionate about the um, skincare piece and the personal care product piece because of some of the other work I do. But I, I think that's just, yeah, such an, another um, important, you know, place to look um, in order to avoid I- exposure. Yeah. Yeah. So simple things you can do. And then we jump to infections. Um, I love this quote that it's not the bug, it's the terrain. Mm-hmm. So we've got a, this kill, kill, kill strategy of just going after something and eradicating it. And, and it's really a violent kind of uh, metaphor. It doesn't necessarily work that way. So it's it's really about improving the terrain of your body so that the your body is not a hospitable place for infections. Um, I've heard it said that up to 99% of the microbes in us are actually beneficial. So we don't want to be employing this kill, kill, kill strategy. We really want to understand this and we can get tested. I think that's a really helpful thing to understand what's going on in your gut. For example, um, I, I like a few tests like GI effects or GI map and they can, Mm-hmm. identify whether there are pathogens in there like parasites and candida bacterial imbalances and so forth. Um, but to, to really go about it in a way where you're employing herbs and as much natural stuff as you possibly can. Again, we, we just don't want to go after everything with this great guns approach of antibiotics. So I'm sure that resonates with what you do in your practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I think, um, you know, again, this whole interconnection and, um, you know, we want to, you know, I, I always like to say to Palmer, and I know you um, understand this too, is that we're not, you know, meant to be these sterile, you know, bodies that were, you know, a thriving ecosystem, but we want to have the the right combination of bugs and you know that is all about getting the immune system to be you know the one in charge of that rather than the the bugs and so I think it's this inner inner, it's just a different way to look at oh you have an infection you take medication and then the bug is gone it's a lot more complex especially when we're dealing with you know just more persistent and stealth pathogens. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that about the immune system because one of the big tenets um, that I recommend under infections is to unburden your immune system. And how do you do that? Well, the first thing is to remove the sugar and the starchy carbs that are really going to cause your immune system not to be operating at full capacity. Um, another thing that you can do is to move, you know, mm-hmm. move more, mm-hmm. get good sleep. All of these things are really helpful to, for your immune system. And in my case, I later found after healing and so forth, and I had some other health issues when you beat autoimmune, you're not done. Like life continues mm-hmm. to happen. Mm-hmm. And I had a year where I had multiple colds and I couldn't figure out why. And I went and had a cone beam x-ray and found that I had four cavitations mm-hmm. in my wisdom teeth area. So I I just want to shine a light for a moment on oral health because it has been so pivotal in my own experience and work with clients that are not healing, which is why I have this advanced considerations chapter in the book for people to really look at this and go to an expert who can run run this cone beam, which is a special 3D kind of x-ray looking at your mouth because you may not even feel like you have an infection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I had an infection, but after I had the surgery, I had two surgeries. They do one side at a time. Uh, I healed very well. I stopped having colds. Mm -hmm. I knew 
almost immediately that that had been burdening my immune system for a while. So um, that's just another really good thing that you can check is your oral health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big part of our work at Sophia. And it's just an often, you know, overlooked, um, you know, kind of block for people's healing. And so I I agree. I mean, I, I think there's so much to that people can do. But if you're in that you know, percentage where you're still struggling, you know, definitely working with people who know how to identify these things and um, deal with them safely and strategically. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into stress because um, this is a huge category, um, but it's also a vicious cycle when it comes to chronic disease, as you know. Um, so there is research that shows that most people have signs of significant stress that precedes an autoimmune attack, but the autoimmunity itself is stressful. So people stay stuck in this loop. And I just want to say something really simple about this is whatever you do that works for you to activate that parasympathetic rest and digest, tend and befriend, whatever you want to call it, that's what you'll do. That's what will work for you. So for some people that might be meditation. Um, One of the simplest strategies to address stress right away is to become a belly breather and just you know, notice when, when you take a deep breath in, are your shoulders moving? Is your chest puffing out? And if that's the case, you're actually activating your sympathetic stress response. You don't want to be getting your shoulders and your chest involved with breathing. You want your belly to go out like a balloon. And we've been, especially women have been trained, like tuck your, pull your tummy in, look Mm -hmm. really slender. But the point is you want to be breathing all the way. You want to engage your diaphragm. You want to be bringing the breath all the way down and you want to pay more attention to your out breath. So some of the simplest strategies for stress reduction are simple and free and right under your nose. Mm -hmm. And sometimes with clients, I have them set chimes, not shrill alarms, but a very gentle chime as a reminder throughout the day to practice maybe five breaths or five different breath holding practices that can be very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are other things, there's a myriad of things that one can do. And I offer a number of strategies in the book. Um, But some of the most basic things are the ones that work, they sound cliche, but get outside, walk barefoot, get mm-hmm. some sun, you know, move a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and for those who haven't tried um, tapping, otherwise known as emotional freedom technique, mm-hmm. I have personally found and, and clients I work with have found that to be an especially useful self-help and self-soothing technique. So there are videos online that you can find and just practice along with people who can guide you through this. And I had the unfortunate experience of, uh, you know, you never know if things are unfortunate or not, but I had to deliver the eulogy for my mother Mm. and I was really stressed and I did some EFT tapping before that and it made a ton of difference. So just want to encourage people to try things. That's one of the biggest takeaways that I can just offer is you have to try what works for you because what works for me may not be the same thing that will work for you. Right. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I am grateful you mentioned tapping. We, we do that at the office and we actually had a guest practitioner this past week, uh, Julie Schiffman. She has her own website and she has a lot of videos actually on her website of walking people through, you know, tapping, um, she worked with Dr. Mercola in his office. Um, and so she was, it was really fun because we do a lot of this work, Pamela at um, our office, but it was really fun to have her here this week because uh, just to see the feedback and see the shifts in patients that happen, you know, really, you know, like you were saying pretty immediately, um, when you do this work. So, um, so no, I, I think that there are so many tools for stress reduction and, um, it just has to be part of, um, your lifestyle and, even though it might take time to really make it a habit, um, it's foundational. Absolutely. Positively. And I, I do know of Julie Schiffman and I've watched her video. She's fantastic. And Brad Yates is another one for, for people who resonate with a male. Um, he would be somebody that I would recommend just following his free online videos, and shall I go through hormones quickly? Yeah, last? please. Please, okay. please. Yeah. So this is naturally last because if you do this other stuff and you take the bad stuff out and you put the good stuff in and you do it for a long enough period of time, sometimes your hormones can get back into balance. Um, but I'll just give some simple strategies that I think sometimes are overlooked. Um, 
the easiest thing that you can do, vitamin D is a pro-hormone. I don't know if people, everybody listening knows that vitamin D is actually a pro-hormone instead of a vitamin, but that is one of the most basic things. It is low in people with autoimmune conditions, particularly in MS. So I recommend people get their vitamin D levels up to about 80 um, and, and try to keep them there. It's just one of the most preventative things. It, uh, you have vitamin D receptors in so many cells in your body. I don't know if it's every cell, but so many cells It has so many functions, helps to boost your immune system. And so that's something that you can ask your doctor to run a vitamin D test a couple of times a year and make sure you stay in a safe zone, but whatever you do, get it up out of the teens and 20s and 30s and 40s and see if you can get it to um, uh, a good functional level. I don't know what your thoughts are on vitamin D. Yeah, we're liking it between 80 and 100, honestly, these days. But you want to, of course, make sure your calcium is within normal range. Um, but we find that many of our patients feel better on kind of that, um, that in that level. And I'm so glad you said that. Mm -hmm. I, I really am because there's, I think there are many doctors who still, and I have a patient, a client actually, who called me and said her doctor actually yelled at her because her vitamin D was 60 and he mm -hmm. felt like it was too high. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know. I think it just depends when you go to medical school and it's one of those, you know, vitamins that they, you know, create a lot of fear in. and understandably with the fat soluble vitamins, but I think the reach research is, you know, there and, you know, patients feel better. And I just am all um, about monitoring calcium when the vitamin D goes um, higher and it's not, it's rarely elevated. I've only seen that once or twice. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a great tool. Great. Wonderful. So that's probably the easiest hormone that you can um, work with on your own. Another thing you can do on your own is get some morning sun. This is one of the greatest ways get outside with no contacts or glasses on at the, your earliest convenience to get outside and don't necessarily stare at the sun, but just allow the sun to come into your eyes. So you're not wearing sunglasses and it's actually activating your retina and helping to reset your and restore your circadian rhythm mm -hmm. and melatonin production. So I think that that is, um, one of the easiest and most simple things that people can do, even if you can't walk, is just go sit outside for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really helpful with stress. Um, and that's going to help also not only raise your melatonin, but it might actually help to lower your cortisol a little bit. Um, another big problem with people with autoimmunity is that they have high insulin. And high insulin is the pathway to prediabetes and diabetes and obesity. And all of that is risk factors, not only for autoimmunity, but for Alzheimer's. So we need to lower our insulin and we do that both by reducing our or eliminating sugar and starchy foods and lowering our carb levels, but also when we lower our toxin exposure. I think Dr. Pizzorno also found that a lot of his patients with diabetes, it wasn't just about the carbs they were eating, it was about their toxin exposure. So again, this is another case where these different categories are affecting each other. So that's how your insulin can come down. Um, we talked about stress already. And when you reduce stress and actively practice these relaxation techniques, your cortisol get back, gets back into a, a normal rhythm, uh, which is fantastic. And the last thing I'll say about hormones is one of the greatest things you can do for yourself is to boost your oxytocin levels. Mm -hmm. And we can do that simply by asking for and getting more hugs. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, a great way of connecting with people and getting the care you need and talking with good friends and seeing good friends and being in community and laughing. And all of those things can help to really, um, really activate this love hormone called oxytocin. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. And my daughter um, is 14 months and I just, I'm, you know, experiencing oxytocin firsthand and she loves to share it too. She, I just, I laugh when she's around friends or even my patients or my, you know, coworkers, you know, that she's just giving out oxytocin, you know, right now. Uh, I love it. I love it. We don't need nasal spray. Yeah, I, need to borrow your dog. I know. I, know. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. She's part of the treatment plan, you know. Uh, you um, know, seriously, I mean, when, when older people are in hospitals or nursing homes, homes or whatever, and they bring in pets to visit. My mom had this and they brought in visiting dogs. It is, I mean, you can see the smile on their faces. 
I mean, you can see the warmth and the love and their eyes light up because it doesn't have to be a person. It could be your pet. And they actually science about staring into a pet's eyes. It actually really helps to boost your oxytocin levels and also in the dog or the cat. Love it. um, (laughs) It goes both ways. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So important. Well, Palmer, goodness, we could talk all day, but this is so comprehensive. And even, um, you know, with these big, large topics, you were able to really break them down. And your again, your book, um, for anyone who's listening, people can go, you know, deeper, you know, to understand, you know, in each category, you know, how they can really implement um, and investigate, um, you know, some of these um, solutions for for you individually. So no, I, I think, um, I think you did a fabulous job in writing this book. And I know I'm sure this was a labor of love. I mean, um, I, I have not written a book yet. And I just can't imagine the undertaking, <laughs> you know, but, um, but no, you it, it really hits everything that we really want to go through when we, people come to Sophia. So thank you for doing this. Um, doing this. I'm definitely going to put this in the waiting room um, as well so people can have this as a guide. So Palmer, how can people find out more about you and your work and your book? So um, about the book, since you're on that topic, it has its own little page. If you go to beatautoimmunebook.com, you can learn more about it, see the reviews there. And then it'll take you to different places like Amazon, which is having a 30% off sale right now. It's a paperback and available on Kindle. It will be eventually available as an audio version as well. Uh, And then when you come back to that book page, you can download three free bonuses. So it's a great way of getting more things to help you on your healing journey. Um, People can find out about me at palmerkippola.com. That's where I blog. I share healing stories. And I run a private Facebook group called Transcend Autoimmune for anyone who is seeking to heal and thrive actively. So come on over there and check it out if that is appealing to you. You want community and more support. Great. I'm so glad you're doing that. That's um, such an accessible way to connect with people. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Palmer. This was so fun for me to get to know you more and your work more, and I just really enjoyed it. So thank you. Oh, it's just absolutely been an honor and a pleasure, and I'm thrilled. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Palmer Kippola, K-I-P-P-O-L-A. Check out her book, Beat Autoimmune. I think it's a fantastic wealth of knowledge and you can go deeper with our conversation with her book. And if you are enjoying these podcasts, uh, please, if you would love to leave us a review, I'd be so grateful. And if you have anyone you want me to interview or you would like me to consider, please email us at info at drchristineshoffner.com. I really appreciate your support. And this has been just so much fun for me to get to do these. And I hope they are of service to you. So thank you.